you're listening to Character Speaks, supported by ProSign Design, a podcast designed to spotlight passionate character educators who are walking the talk. Today, we're talking relationships with Amanda Sims, a school adjustment counselor in Massachusetts. Thank you, Amanda, for curving out time to speak with us today. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. I guess you know you are our first Character Speaks guest. Yes, I'm very honored. I'm very, very honored. Well, I'm super thankful that you agreed. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for to get us started? Okay. It's such a, that's such a fun question. Um, (laughs) It's always the one that, you know, when you start an interview, it's like, well, where do I begin? So I am a mom. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a social worker and I'm a school adjustment counselor and those, and I'm a writer. And those last three are the three that are, are really exciting um, for me right now, just because I'm, I'm learning so much about how to do this work. And obviously my new connection with you has been so inspiring. And I just, I I just feel like every day I'm thinking of new things that I want to do to support kids. So I love, love, love working in a school. Um, it's been something that I wasn't sure I wanted to do, but I knew I loved working with kids and I kind of danced around it for a while. And now that I'm in a school environment, I just, I absolutely love it. I love, love, love it. So you don't have an education background, is that right? Um, I would say yes and no. I All of my work, even my early jobs when I was a kid, you know, I was a babysitter from the age of 10 because I was 10 years older than my brother. And then I babysat pretty much all the way through. And then I worked at camps when I was a teenager. And then when I went to college, I went to Providence College in Rhode Island, I tried out a couple of different majors, one of which was education. So I have, you know, a sprinkling of, of background in that. And then I took a year off halfway through college and I did a pro- an AmeriCorps program called City Year and it was in Boston. And I worked in a school for an entire year in a classroom in Charlestown, Massachusetts, which was incredible. So I still like all the way around, I had all of these educational types of experiences, but wasn't quite sure that I wanted to be, you know, a teacher of 25, 30 kids that I didn't know that that was exactly what was meant for me. And so I did go back to school after that and graduated with a degree in public and community service studies. So that was really kind of a, an interesting thing. And all of my work in that all involved kids as well. And then I started a family and had my own home daycare for several years. So Really, I have been shaping kids' minds in a lot of different ways for a long time. Um, And then while I was, my older children were getting older, I decided I wanted to go back for social work. And that was really, I think, where the the shift in terms of this is really where I can make my impact with kids is, is through that social work medium. And then being able to blend it back with work in schools has just been incredible. So... It's the perfect job for me. It's the hardest job I've ever had, but it's my favorite job. Absolutely. So shaping minds and hearts. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And getting to do it um, in a way that I feel suits me best. You know, there was there was this appeal to working in education, but it just didn't feel like it suited my strengths in the way that I'm, I think I connect with kids on an individual basis, probably a little better than 
you know, standing in front of the classroom, having to come up with lesson plans and, and those sorts of things. And when you're a counselor, you can meet the kid where they're at and you can sort of just see whatever rises up in the moment and, and trust your instincts and, you know, be mindful, use mindfulness, use all those sorts of things to guide how you're going to support that, that interaction and that, that person in front of you and really build relationships. So that is just such a blessing. You mentioned that you're a writer. Let's jump to free spirit. Cause we kind of have a connection because of free spirit books and publishing. Oh, yes. Well, I'm, I, I just can't even thank you enough for all of your support around that new adventure. It is, I've, I, I, yes, I have been writing since I was very, very little, um, creatively on my own. It's just always been a coping mechanism for me. I've always had journals and diaries and lists and scraps of paper here and there. It's, it's something that sometimes just, you know, it feels like it just has to come out, um, in whatever way that that looks like. And you are able to sort of discover some of my writing that I very reluctantly shared, to be honest, on that counselor Facebook page that I would sort of always backpacks. Yes. I would sort of always like, I mean, I love that page and I was sort of always peripheral. I just sort of take in what I took in and I didn't necessarily put much out there of my own. And I had written that and shared it, I think with my private Facebook page, just, I mean, on a whim and sometimes it's uncomfortable to share some of your personal writing. And then I thought, well, if I put it out to my personal friends, counselors of all people could really relate to this piece where I did talk about carrying kids who carry invisible backpacks and they carry around so much in those invisible backpacks that we can't see and how that metaphor has helped me do the work that I do and helped kids understand what, what it is that they're experiencing and why things can feel so hard and, and using it as a tool to sort of try to get unstuck or try to feel a little bit lighter. At any rate, you discovered that and then started the ball rolling where I've been then able to evolve my writing and adapt it to be able to blog for free spirit where, you know, the topics can range from anything from, um, managing self doubt to, um, how to manage boredom, you know, in the summer or, um, I'm trying to think we, we just, the first post that I, I put out, was the relational aggression post, which is a really difficult topic right now. Okay. Very so important. That one was amazing. And you talked about the power between that I think just really resonated with people who are trying to help these girls and, and to not have it be girl drama because it's, they're not acting. It's real to them. And it, will mm-hmm. you speak about that a little bit? That, that was just so spot on, Amanda. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think, um, no, I think it's, it's very, it's a challenging topic. And when it, it impacts schools and when it impacts families, because that's the other thing. I mean, I had so many friends reach out to me and say, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with this with my daughter and, you know, and they're only in second grade or they're only in third grade and it's, you know, it's, it's awful. And I, I don't, I don't know how to handle it, but you gave me some speaking points. And I think, that's the point is that it, we need to, we need to find that power in relationships where we can empower one another to be better rather than using the relationship to strip one, you know, one another of power. And that's, that's, that's the really tricky part of it all is that I think a lot of times, and it's not always just with females, 
but I think in peer relations, we can, we can use that power between other people to, to tear them down and, and kids get pulled into that and it can be challenging to find your way out. And it's not, it's not a silly little thing. You know, it can be humiliation and shame can be very powerful experiences for kids to have. And so we need to recognize, name it, and then teach them how they can support one another. And, or if they've made that mistake, how they can realize, oh my goodness, like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to, to do those things. And it's okay that I've made that mistake in the past, but what am I going to do moving forward? And I think that's a lot of, you know, that plays into your character work, you know, is that mistakes are a huge part of figuring out who you are and developing that kind of character that it's okay to make mistakes. It's how we handle them that matters. I love to the part where you addressed the victim and and your ability or a counselor's ability or really just a trusted adult's ability to help them walk through the pain instead of go around it. Yes, right. And to and to not um you know be so punitive with um you know a quote unquote bully or an aggressor. I mean these words that we use for kids who are who are making these choices and are behaving in this way, they aren't, they are not their choices. You know, their behavior has meaning. And I think we do a lot of work in our bullying curriculums and all of those things right now, which are absolutely so important, but we do a lot of work to, um, to explain what it is. And in some ways, I think we end up demonizing the bully and the aggressor and make it hard for them to recognize their own mistakes, you know? And I, I think that adults will often not side, but they'll sympathize with, with a victim and they'll share their experiences of when they were bullied and so on and so forth. And those things are helpful. But I also think that we have a role in sharing when we've made mistakes, you know, and I, I did that recently with a girls group that I had where we were talking a lot about relational aggression, because I think a lot of the girls were not recognizing, not seeing themselves in those behaviors. They weren't seeing that, oh my gosh, I really am doing that. And when I told them, you know, like I, I have engaged in mean behavior when I was a child. And I remember my, my, one of my sisters, I'm the oldest of four, three girls and a boy. And like, we used to, we used to really kind of gang up on another sister. And it took me a long time to realize that. And, and I told the, the students this, and maybe that's, you know, not something that's like very flattering of me, but I thought, you know, if they can even recognize that, look, here's this counselor and she is so kind and she's so positive and even she engaged when she was younger in behavior that she wasn't, she's not really proud of, but she was able to learn from it and make better choices moving forward. I felt like that was important. And so that's where I feel like the power between, when you talk about the power between, um, where you use that relationship to sort of put it all out there, be vulnerable together, talk about it. This is uncomfortable stuff. Like I'm not proud of when I behaved that way when I was younger or, you know, when I got a little bit older and people would gossip, you know, and I would just jump right in and it's taken me a long time to have to recognize that I don't, that's not the kind of person I want to be. And I'm, I have other choices I can make. So yeah, so it's, it's a lot of that sort of stuff. So getting so vulnerable and so real with them has got to do amazing things to build that trust. I, I mean, I would say so. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I can I can think of a few experiences with some of the older females that I had worked with in the last year. And 
you know, just really saying to them, like, it's, it's okay. It's okay that you've made the mis- this mistake. Just you can't get stuck in how badly you feel about it right now. The only thing you can do is decide what you're going, you know, don't, like, cause I said, if you hold on to all that, you hold on to all that yuckiness and you internalize it. Like I've made a bad choice. Therefore I am bad. Yeah. Like that's, that's shame. And that can be debilitating. That prevents you from moving forward and doing a better thing next time. So we're talking about it now. When we leave this room today, you're going to say, you know what? Yep. I made a mistake. And Miss Sims makes mistakes. And you know, my teacher makes mistakes and my mom makes mistakes and we all make mistakes. So what can I do differently next time? And then we'll run through even a scenario. So if it was a particular fight with another peer where the peer said something that really embarrassed her. So she just went right back at her and, you know, really tried to tear her down. And I said, so what's going to happen the next time that peer does that thing that really ticks you off. What are you going to do instead? You know, and, and walk through different scenarios and, and even just say, you might not be able to control that other person or the situation, but you can always control how you, how you respond. And, and you can choose not to engage. You can choose to just say, you know what? I don't want to do this. Like I'm, I'm really working on this. I don't want to do this. And I think I saw that happen, you know, in little moments, of course, you know, the, the relational aggression stuff can be, can be hard because, because you are changing so much as kids, you're developing, you're, you know, there's, there's so much going on at once. Relationships change day to day, but when you can keep sort of walking through it and it's really about an awareness, you're taking what you've learned. They're listening to me. They're listening to all these messages around them and they're trying to integrate it all in a way that makes sense. Because people want to be good people. You know, that's that's a natural tendency. It, it's just. It sounds like you're giving them hope. Actually, I read this week right. that the number one thing for resilience, the, the, the one trait that they need for resilience is hope. And it sounds like that's mm-hmm. part of what you're doing every day in these interactions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love that you just brought up resilience because I think. The way that I talk about resilience, especially when I, I work with the staff, we do social emotional um, PLCs monthly, and um, a lot of our focus is on trauma and, and managing that. And you know, I've done exercises where I've focused on resilience. You know, what is resilience? And trying to emphasize to them that, to me, the way that I talked about resilience when I was in grad school. Um, or the way that our classes spoke about it is that it's not a characteristic. You're either resist, re- resilient or you're not resilient. Rather, it's a process and anybody can experience resilience and what what is involved in that process that it's necessary. And exactly what you just said, um, I think it's having one positive adult and you know this this ability to feel hopeful about the future. And then, you know, all kinds of other supports. But, um, you know, at minimum, that one positive adult is huge. And, and that's what you're giving them as that positive adult is hope. And I, so I, I remind the teachers of that all the time that they're with you how many hours a day, you know? All day long. Oh, yeah. And that when they come here, they do feel safe and they feel seen and they feel heard. And so don't be afraid. Like, think about the things you remember from when you were in school, like those little things that made you feel special or that you loved about school. It wasn't, you know, it's usually the outside the box little things, you know, this teacher always, I don't know, gave us little high fives or gave me this silly nickname, you know, something that, um, 
we always got to do this on Friday. We had a fun Friday dance or, you know what I mean? Something uh-huh. it can be yeah. little, little things that, I mean, routines and structures, um, but things that they look forward to and they can, that make being there really happy and, um, they feel safe. And so that's, that's a big part of resilience. And I think we, we all underestimate our role in that, but that end up, that end up feeding their soul, right? Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Okay. Um, So you're doing a lot of work, Amanda. I want to know how you care for yourself. Like, are mm -hmm. you practicing mindfulness? You mentioned that earlier. What are you doing to fill up that bucket of yours? So I've been, yeah, I've been really practicing mindfulness for a while now. And I, I, I feel like it's, I love mindfulness and I love talking about it with people and I love talking about it with kids and families and adults. And I, I love teaching people that it's not about always being positive and it's not always being like sunshiny and happy and like, well, I just got to find the silver lining. That is not what mindfulness is at all. <laughs> mindfulness, because that's not reality. We're human beings. We feel all kinds of feelings. So mindfulness is just being with those feelings and honoring those feelings and and saying, you know what, I'm feeling really frustrated right now, or I'm feeling really tired. And even earlier before we had planned this, um, my day didn't go exactly as planned and I was just really tired. And so when I came home, I had all these other set things that I thought that I should do. And I said, you know what, you need to just go lay down for a few minutes. And that's exactly what I did. I'm a, I'm a big believer in power naps. That's like my new favorite thing. Cause I can set my alarm for either five or 10 minutes and it's all I need. And I wake up and I truly am able to fall asleep and I wake up so energized and, and I feel like I gave myself permission to just stop for a few minutes. And so, you know, I, obviously there's little things like that, that I do. It's mostly just giving myself permission, um, it to, in whatever moment, feel how I feel, do what I'm feeling like I should do. What's that next best thing that I should do. And in letting myself do that, assuming I can do that um, in the moment. And so, of course, I like to write every day. Um, I love baths. I absolutely love baths. Not as much in the summertime, um, but in the wintertime, I love to just take a bath. Music. I listen to music a lot. Um, Taking walks is a huge, huge thing for me. And, And I think any of these things, mindfulness is just woven into all of them because I'm always trying to... And my husband and I have this, this, um, I was going to say it's a joke, but it's not really a joke. It's just sort of like a thing that happens for both of us because it's something that we're both really trying to cultivate. And we both have this thing where we see, well, he more than, more than I, but he sees hawks like all the time whenever he's in really kind of in the moment or kind of maybe he's reflecting on something like, am I doing the right thing? And he's you often when he's driving, he'll, he'll see a hawk. That's often like this. Yep. You're doing the right thing. Keep going. And so it, it's kind of like a reframe and just like stay in this moment, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And I see, I see those a lot as well in those same kinds of moments, but I also have like these white butterflies that often, um, I told a friend about it years ago who said, and I was like, I think it's my grandma. That's what she always used to say. She would be blah, blah, blah. And then, um, a friend of mine who's very involved in mindfulness was like, or it's just a reframe for, you know, for you to say what's happening in this moment, you know? And so when you see them throughout the day, you can reframe and say, am, am I, am I being mindful? Am I, am I here? Am I present? And just check in with yourself. And so, you know, I'm using things like that. I feel like throughout my day to just sort of stay checked in and not tune out. 
I love that. I've got the butterfly thing too. Every time I see a monarch, I'm pretty sure it's my mentor, Sally, either saying, you know, what do you need to do different today? Or how's it going today? Or how how are you experiencing and unwrapping the gift that is the present in Mm -hmm. this moment at this time? Um, You didn't mention knitting though. Is it, is knitting one of those mindfulness? it, It is. So knitting is interesting. So knitting is something that Oh my gosh, this is kind of embarrassing. So it's really, it was 20 years ago. So when I did City Year in Boston, that AmeriCorps program, I started a little knitting circle with some of my friends that I had made that were all in AmeriCorps with me. And I said, I really want to learn how to knit. Let me, I'm going to start this thing at my house. I lived in Somerville at the time. And so they said, sure, sure, sure. And I got this stuff from my grandmother who was alive back then. She gave me some of her supplies and yarn. She was so excited I was going to learn. And then I felt so badly making any of them they all came with their projects, all these knitters. I felt so badly making them stop what they were doing to teach me. And they said, like, don't you want us to teach you? And I was like, no, it's fine. And so I just kind of talked, you know, as you can see, I'm kind of a talker. I just sort of talked and like appreciated what we were doing, but never really learned to knit. And then, um, and I still always wanted to. And so a couple years ago, my nanny had already passed away a few years before that. A couple years ago, I decided as like a new year's resolution, I was going to teach myself. And I went on YouTube which I, I think actually a few other people had tried to teach me prior to that. And I, I don't know the way I learn, I I was like, I can't quite understand what you're doing. And what I found was with YouTube, you can pause and go back. Or if you don't like how they're holding, you know, the thing, it doesn't make sense to you how they're explaining it, whatever you can be like, well, I'm going to go find another person to teach me. So I just kind of (laughs) scrolled through YouTube and taught myself how to knit. So I wouldn't say that I'm all that great at knitting. And in fact, I have a lot of my husband teases me I have a lot of unfinished product projects. But I think of it as sort of like a mandala, like it's, you know, it's it's more about just the doing of it. So it's definitely a mindfulness kind of um, strategy for me. I'm, I'm working on something right now that I do believe I will finish. It's a scarf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this I and I have finished some things, but just in terms of like hats, I get to the end and I'm like, Oh, I got to find another YouTube video to figure out how to finish that. <laughs> So yes, it's, and it, it really helps with my son plays football and lacrosse and those two sports are stressful sometimes for me to watch. Um, and so it helps. So I knit while, while I watch him because it gives me something to do with my nerves around, um, watching him play, uh, play a sport that is a little bit, you know, has a lot of physical contact. So it helps, it helps me with that. And it just kind of keeps my hands busy. And I feel super connected to my grandmother when I do it, you know, um, my grandfather, was so weepy when I had told him that I had finally learned how, and he gave me this huge bin of her stuff. So I've worked on a few projects with some of her, her yarn and, and actually my son just ended up inheriting her car. So now we have her car and this is crazy. This is going on a grandmother tangent. She lived in the house that I live in and we didn't know that when we bought it, she had lived in it when she was a young girl. So, so there's so many cool things where I feel my grandmother's presence all the time. And now knitting is just cause she, she would knit everywhere. She knit all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like that. You know what? Why can't I knit? You know, why can't I go sit by the pool and bring my knitting? Why can't I go to my son's lacrosse game and bring my knitting? You don't see people doing it very often anymore, but I think it's, it's a nice hobby. It keeps your hands busy. It keeps you off your phone you know, scrolling around just because you're bored. Yeah. 
And I love that it connects you back to your grandparents. I, a lot of times will ask workshop participants, who were those heroes in your life and how did you honor them? How do you keep their memory alive and how do you live their legacy? So you're warming up America with your Afghans living her legacy. Well, that, well, and exactly. And I'm even able to, now that I'm able to do this thing that she did, I look at the projects that she created and they are, I'm in awe because I know how much work was involved in those. And they're, I'm in awe. I think you, you have these things that are special to you, but when you realize how much work actually went into them, it's incredible. Amanda, I feel like we could talk all day. We are coming on the end of our time. I do want to know what's next or where people might could find you if they want to follow your work or, or touch base with you. Well, that's a good question. So I am really working on becoming a little bit more tech savvy. I, um, I've used Facebook for a long time. And so that's something I'm comfortable using as a platform. I just started a new, um, Facebook page. That's a professional page. So I'll be like posting my free spirit things there. Some of my, maybe some of my more creative writing type of pieces I might post on there. And that is um, Amanda Sims, S-Y-M-M-E-S-L-I-C-S-W. And that's that page. And then I also have L-I-C-S-W Amanda is the handle for my Twitter that is like a whole new world for me, but I'm slowly figuring that out. Um, so yeah, so that's fun. And, and it's kind of fun to challenge myself to find new ways to communicate on, on the internet because I've just been sort of stuck in the you know, family and friends, Facebook world, but to, to know that there's other, other ways to communicate. Um, it's kind of fun. A world of possibilities. I did see you on Twitter a little bit more this past week. So I I worked on it. I worked on it a little bit. Pretty excited and super proud of you. And of course they can find you at free spirit press. Are you posting a monthly? So right now, so that first post, I think, went up at the end of June. The next one's, I think, due to go up next week, the beginning of next week. And then there's another one. I think at the minimum, they'll be monthly. Um, and it kind of depends on how many I think I put up and when they have openings for for um, articles and things like that. So I think at least every month you should be seeing something from me. I'm definitely going to keep myself to to writing on that schedule. I think it's really good for me to stretch myself in, you know, what some of the topics are and to write in that different sort of format, um, while still being able to put me into everything that I'm doing, you know, um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. And so I don't want to be, um, you know, repeating everything that's already been said, which of course there's going to be overlap, but I want to be able to say what I think needs to be said in my own way in the way that makes sense to me. And hopefully people will find that helpful. I think they will, and I think you're going to give it a fresh new voice. I, I want to definitely thank you for sharing your heartbeat with us um, today. Um, if you're listening, I want to thank you for joining us for our very first Character Speaks. Um, join us next week as we continue the conversation about character education, connections, and life. This podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. Visit them online at prosignco.com for carpool tags or character banners. You know, we hung their character banners in um, our school this year, and it really does add some color and pizzazz. So 
um, give that a look um, when you're awesome. when you're done listening. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I am so proud to even be connected to you and know you. And I feel so excited about all the work that you're doing and um, just being able to learn so much more from from you. So thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it.